Hello, everybody, and welcome to My Niche Podcast, about the one thing I know something about, game shows, I suppose. I'm your host, Jordan Haas. We have a very, very busy episode today. That's why I'm speaking very fast. Ben Patton will be joining us in just a few to talk about Big Break. But until then, we have a whole, 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 whole lot of news to get into. Right before I started recording this episode... I, uh, Jeopardy had a broken record today as James Holtzauer, who is the current Jeopardy champion, uh, broke the record of a one-day game. Uh, he scored $110,914 and is currently at $244,365. I thought his math was a little off and he should have bet $3,000 more, so his total currently would have been Two hundred forty-seven thousand three hundred sixty-five dollars, or two four seven three six five. You know, that would, that would be kind of a cool hustle and kind of uh, a score to have. But uh, according to sources, uh, the wager he did today, so it ended with one hundred ten thousand nine hundred fourteen dollars, was because during the final Jeopardy, he wrote down right after the correct answer of Quantum Leap, "Happy Birthday, Booger," referring to his daughter, and the total was. 110,914, or 110914, which is probably the daughter's birthday, which I thought was very sweet. Aw, and I feel like a monster. Not to be outshadowed, Wheel of Fortune is going to celebrate their 7,000th episode on May 10th. That That's it. That's the news. There's 7,000 episodes. Which is still a remarkable feat in terms of a game show. So congratulations for Wheel of Fortune for 7,000 episodes of spinning a wheel and calling a letter. Uh, amazing pizza of television. Long-term followers of this game show podcast would know about my campaign to host Card Sharks with the hashtag Jordan for Card Sharks campaign. And I want to thank everyone for reaching out and trying to get that trending, all four of you. Uh, but it was, it, it was fun, and, uh, I have to now be the bearer of bad news here. ABC stacks the deck with Joel McHale as host of Card Sharks, premiering this summer on ABC. ABC Entertainment Fremontal announced today that actor and comedian Joel McHale is set to host Card Sharks, a suspenseful game where a fortune can be won on a turn of a single playing card. The show is slated to air this summer on the ABC Television Network. I'm very excited to be hosting Card Sharks, said Joel McHale. Game winners can win tens of thousands of dollars, and in an updated twist, losers will be fed to a pin of adult tiger sharks. The road to glory and riches begins with two players facing off in a head-to-head elimination race where the winning player claims a $10,000 cash prize and a chance to turn that in mount into a life-changing payday. The anticipation builds as winning contestants risk their prize on predicting seven final cards. The player leaves the game with whatever amount of money they have in their bank after the prediction and results are revealed on the flip of their seventh and final card. I mean, by the, by the sounds of things, 
Uh, it sounds like they might actually be doing surveys. They haven't really announced what they're going to do with the head-to-head -head game, though, aspect. Uh, so that's telling me they're going to keep the, the whole, here's your side, here's my side, first to complete this race wins. But So, so maybe they're just going to extend it out to like seven cards each and do some sort of toss-up, maybe like guesstimation questions or maybe like audience predictions. I don't know. Uh, but if they get Joel McHale, that's telling me it's going to be comedy. So they might actually do some surveys and silliness, which is all I actually want to see in, in Card Sharks. I think Joel McHale... If it's not me, um, if it's not me, I'm glad it's Joel McHale because he has that sort of uh, a dry wit about him and, and snark behavior that's not like panel game snark, but rather just why would you agree to this sort of uh, a game show hosting agreement. And that $10,000, uh, that's telling me... Either they're going to revamp the money cards and have it be $10,000 and they keep risking it up, meaning uh, they start at $10,000 and it keeps going so you can double 20, 40, 80, 160, 320, 640, ending with $1,280,000. Or are they going to make it like the rig classic card sharks where it's level one, here's $5,000 that you had in three cards, and then level two with another 5,000 and three cards until the final card, the big bet, where you must bet at least half your money, in which case that means five, which means 10, 20, 40 to make it 45 because you had the 5,000. 90, 180, 360, making it $720,000, $720, which is still a pretty huge payday. So that's telling me that Fremontal is going to try their best to throw a whole lot of money in the civilian games because this is a civilian game show much like Press Your Luck, which I'm still looking forward to. So probably by the time I upload this episode, we'll announce who the new host of Press Your Luck is, and I will still be very disappointed because, once again, I'm pushed over as a host and as a producer and ignored, and that's fine. You know it's fine. Um, I guess there's always Supermarket Sweep, I guess. Um Oh, hang on, more ABC news. Uh, Deadpool is becoming a game show producer as Ryan Reynolds is behind Don't, a new original game show that's been picked up by ABC for multiple episodes. An original format by Bon & Jay Studios North America, Don't is described as a comedic physical game show in which families of four are asked to perform various challenges. The family members must work together on mental and physical tasks with just one rule. Don't do something. They might be told to don't slip, don't laugh, don't scream, don't forget, or another don't challenge. Each episode will focus on one family as they go through the don't test. If they succeed, they'll win a cash prize. But if the family fails a challenge, one of them will be eliminated. When just one contestant is left, the last remaining family member must compete on their own. Whatever money they've earned, the family keeps. Uh, and then... Uh, <clears throat> Let me try to do my best Ryan Reynolds impression here. All my life, the word don't has tortured me, Reynolds said. From don't curse, to don't play ball in the house, to don't eat the crab salad you left in the sun for three days. I cannot wait for my personal trauma to become the next great ABC Family show. Uh, I mean... <laughs> and then Goldberg says... Um, 
because it's a CEO, David Goldberg of Bonajay Studios, North America. Don't is based upon the simple premise that there are countless things that our brain advises us to do, Goldberg said. In Don't, contestants are challenged to resist what their brain is urging them to do. One thing for sure, my brain never said don't to Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> I love being a kiss-ass. Um, one of the most important, most talented and popular stars on the planet. This wildly entertaining and unpredictable show has so much potential, and I'm pleased to be making it for ABC, who has such a great partner over the years. Also, this is a package deal. I love part partnering with Ryan Reynolds, who's A-list celebrity, because of his management, and my company will make this show. Great! Um, he's also gonna be the voice of Detective Pikachu, he's Deadpool, you know how he is. He's a big celebrity currently, and, uh, I will, I will be honest, I actually kind of like the premise of Don't, uh, based on what I'm hearing here with some of the rules, it kind of feels like a WarioWare vibe of, like, the rules of Don't Slip, feels like an almost impossible game show men mentality of get from into an arrow help falling, don't laugh, which is kind of like a, uh, uh, which reminds me of, of classic things like, uh, make me laugh. Uh, don't scream, which tells me it's it, it could either go into the uh-oh snakes and spiders route, or it can go in the route of just like your challenge is don't scream three two jump scare, and then there's don't forget, which is going to be a memory game, and other don't things, and I think that's cool because the way they're formatting the game is basically smart and ingenious and because it's a family show that's telling me sunday nights right around afe uh, maybe they're going to try and pair it up with child support or replace this with child support i don't know um but this seems like a really cool idea i don't know if ryan reynolds is going to be the host i know justin timberlake is doing spin the wheel so but Dak shepherd's the host of that so it, it, it could very well be the case that Maybe Ryan Reynolds is going to host this show. I don't know. I'm actually curious. I like the idea of the format with the physical challenges and, and mental, I guess, in terms of the you have to do the opposite rule, uh, which I might admire. This might be a uh, American version of Ant and Dex push the button, but with a team of four. So that, that that's actually kind of cool. I, I'm, in, I'm on board with that. Way to go, ABC, with this idea. I want to see more of it. I want to see it in studio. Who knows? That seemed pretty cool. Uh, speaking of ABC, because <laughs> we're on the hot streak here. Card Sharks and Don't. By the way, the show's called Don't. So I can just imagine like the logo being like a giant red word that says Don't. And then the O is that giant like no smoking sign. I'm already picturing the show enough as it is. And then the stage is just the giant Don't sign. I, I Oh, yeah. I, I'm imagining stuff right now. <clears throat> ABC has a new game show as well. <clears throat> Deal or No Deal meets Antiques Roadshow, an ABC's new show hosted by Shaquille O'Neal. Trash or Treasure has assembled nine collectors to fill their studio gallery with nine items. Everything from ancient artifacts to pop culture memorabilia. And contestants will try to guess the value of the items and earn a chance to win their values in cash. Entertaining, family-friendly, and full of shack. You're going to be shocked by some of these price tags. Don't miss the rare... Oh, this is the uh, for the bike. Get the tickets. Go for this new high-stakes show. I did not hear anything about this until I went to on-camera audiences. Uh, so that's, a, that's kind of a thing, the collectible uh, format. That, that's a big thing in the BBC era of British game shows. 
But the last time this has been a game show in America was It's Worth What with Cedric the Entertainer. And it didn't really go over very well because people kind of made the comparisons to to The Price is Right. So I don't know how they're going to handle this one other than here's nine items based on what they're saying with the nine collectors. Here's nine items and just keep eliminating the items one by one and then you're left with the last one, which seems like a simple format. And if it's Shaq, it's just going to be him going like, no way that postage stamp is worth more than $40,000. I can't believe it. And it also sounds like because it's only April 12th, it seems like they're only going for maybe two episodes. Like, this is telling me a a small pilot, kind of like ABC's big fan, which is okay. Uh, That's just telling me ABC doesn't have that much faith in this, and this is going to be a after fall, spring kind of show. So, like... You won't see this episode air until maybe February, March of next year, which would be weird because it should. It sounds like a nice game show that would be on like History Channel. Uh, anyway, do you want more news? Here we go. ABC tees up Extreme Mini Golf Competition Series. Holy moly! From Eureka Productions, Unanimous Media and Executive Producer Steph Curry. Yeah, what a transition. We went from ABC to an ABC game show with Shaq to now another ABC game show with Steph Curry, another basketball player. (sighs) Okay. ABC announced today the network pick of its new extreme miniature golf competition series, Holy Moly. The first of its kind 10-episode mini golf competition will showcase self-proclaimed mini golf lovers from around the country as they compete head-to-head through an unparalleled epic obstacle golf course nba superstar steph uh, stephen curry which is steph curry uh will serve as executive producer resident golf pro of the holy moly course and appear in every episode rounding out the on-camera talent is color commentator rob riggle play-by-play commentator joe tesla torre and sideline correspondent Jeannie may no, stop comparing this to Wipeout, even though it's filmed on the Wipeout Ranch. <clears throat> Holy moly, will focus on the family favorite game of mini golf with a twist. In each episode, 12 contestants will put their mini golf and physical skills to the test and phase off in never before seen challenges on the larger than life course. Oh, you mean like put the ball and then get hit by a sandbag and it knocks you into the water? What a original challenge. <clears throat> Many golf experts of all ages and backgrounds will try their luck on holy moly supersized holes. Every episode will consist of three rounds of golf, culminating with three finalists taking on the daunting Mount Holy Moly in a three-way contest. Ultimately, one winner per episode will take home the $25,000 prize. Not $50,000, $25,000. This isn't white, but we can give away fifty dollars We're giving away $25,000. <clears throat> along with the Golden Putter Trophy and the covered Holy Moly plaid jacket. Uniquely themed holes will be featured every week, along with a special celebrity guest appearance and other surprises along the way. (sighs) Everyone is a memory playing mini golf, whether it's a child with your family or a group of friends, a teenager, or an awkward first date. Take that feeling and high-stakes competition out of this world challenges, and we have no doubt Holy Moly will stand alongside other golf classics like Caddyshack, Happy Gilmore, and the legend Bagger Vance, said Rob Mills, Senior VP Alternative at ABC. 
Unanimous is incredibly excited to part of ABC with Holy Moly, said Jerron Smith, co-founder CEO of Unanimous Media. We aim to use this entertainment as a vehicle to bring families together, and this show will surely bring laughter and enjoyment to households around the country. Major golf is a staple pastime, and the show will be fun, intense, and unpredictable. Our collective love of sports and family-centric entertainment made this the perfect project for our first television series. You're making Wipeout Mini Golf! This is just Mini Golf Wipeout! We're excited to see what this competition brings. <clears throat> Eureka is thrilled to be working with ABC. Take America's Love Mini Golf to the next level. We can't wait to unveil the next spectacular mini golf course ever created. It's Chris Colvenner, co-founder and CEO of Eureka. Teaming up with Steph Curry and Humanist Media makes it even more special. Steph has changed the game of basketball forever, so we are beyond excited to join forces with him to transform miniature golf into an epic event. Uh, no word on this from... Um, from Steph Curry, uh, they're just kind of giving like, "Hey, Rob Wiggle, you know, he was he he was in the Hangover movies, and Joe Tess is from ESPN." So there's your John and Anderson, because John Anderson was the ESPN guy. Joe is going to be the ESPN guy. Uh, you got John Henson, who is the comedian. Rob Wiggle's the comedian. You got Jenny May, the advocate, television personality of the real. So that's your silent reporter, the cute-looking, funny lady which is like the Jill Wagner. Everything is just Wipeout. This is just Wipeout complete with on the Wipeout course. And if it's 12, that and it says three, and three courses, that's telling me it's going to be 12 to 6, 6 to 3, and that 3 is going to be the final until one's left. That's So that, that that's that's already telling me the format, and that's going to tell me the appeal is going to be seeing people get pushed into water again and fall down into water again and then try and get a ball into the water and then they get knocked into the water and then if the ball goes in the water they have to go into water and retrieve the ball and then they have to go back to the start and put again i don't it, it's it's wipeout <sighs> Anyway, NBC comes into a small fortune with six-episode order of Youngest Media's delightfully pocket-sized competition series. NBC is offering contestants the opportunity to amass a small fortune as the network has nabbed a six-episode order of Youngest Media's unscripted competition series. Based from ITV February. <clears throat> small fortune will see teams of three friends compete in the tiniest of challenges for a chance to win big money. From a shrunk-down Oval Office, and then in quotation marks, the Waste Wing, the, the, the Waste Wing, to a mini Arc de Triomphe, Arc de Weomph, each team must prove their skills on playing fields that have been squeezed down to the size of a dollhouse. Challenges require considerable dexterity and intense focus because with games this small, there is no room for error as the slightest miscalculation or tremble may result in elimination. <sighs> we'll just keep going down. We can't wait to bring the world's smallest game show to the biggest market in television. Says David Flynn and Lucas Church. This is all just grown worthy lines. <laughs> we can't wait to show how we have a big heart with small fortune. <laughs> Jesus. 
To take home the ultimate small fortune, teams must make it to the end, must last one last teeny tiny but epic game. If players control their nerves and avoid the slightest mistake, they'll walk away with the big cash prize. As the saying goes, good things come in small packages. Uh, business people are... I'm, I'm starting to think there's no creativity in Hollywood. I'm starting to think that. Especially with, like, the, the, the press releases... And then it's like the, the people in charge have to come up with some really bad pun considering the last two PO press releases I had to read. <clears throat> anyway, NBC is more than just NBC. If you ever go to the Universal Studio Tour, it's CNBC, MSNBC, Bravo. And speaking of Bravo, Bravo has ordered a reboot of the early 2000s dating game show Blind Date, but without Roger Lodge. It announced Tuesday. Promising a modern-day take on the original series, each half-hour episode will feature two strangers paired up and sent on a blind date. Like the original graphics, including animations and speech bubbles, will appear on screen as the narrator weaves in on commentary and cameras follow the couple's every move. <sighs> it's... Modernized to work in the social media saturated dating apps world 2019. The show's original concept will be updated to include internet trends and diverse couples of all initiatives, ages, and sexual orientations. You know, the original was, was syndicated and cheap. This is on Bravo, which tells you it's a budget. So that's telling you they, that they, that this is going to be a once-a-week kind of affair. And by the time this ends, I'm going to need to talk to therapist Joe about this. <sighs> this... I mean, it worked because of pop-up video. That was kind of the trend. The 90s to 2000s was like the pop-up video, fun facts, silly jokes thing. I don't know if it'll work on Bravo. It seems like it would. I would see that as more of a love connection than, than Blind Date. But you know what? Let's go for it. Good luck with your Blind Date show. Bravo. Okay, going into the extended cable. Game Show Network, the leader in game shows and competitive entertainment, has announced Sherry Shepard from The View as host of the new expert trivia game show, Best Ever Trivia Show. The half-hour series is anticipated for summer 2019 in Best Ever Trivia Show. Three contestants face off against three trivia experts. The winning player then goes head-to-head -head against the expert with the highest score in the final round, the ultimate trivia challenge. The expert is asked five multiple-choice questions, and if the player gets one or more correct answers than the expert, uh, the player wins $10,000 along with the opportunity to come back and win up to a grand total of $30,000 and take his or her spot in trivia history. Trivia experts to be announced at a later date. I mean, it's it's okay. Uh, Best of trivia show is produced by Game Show Enterprises, LLC. Okay, so that's the Game Show Network in brand for Game Show Network. Brennan Hungton serves executive producer. Well, Brennan does a lot of things. He's a producer. He did Singing Bee for a while. I think his first gig was Legends of the Hidden Temple. So, yeah, he's a, he's a good enough guy to host this. Not host, uh, uh, create this. So that, that works. I mean, a lot of people are probably going to be complaining, well, this is like Beat the Geeks, or this is like The Chase, and this is Game Show Network, they're doing a ripoff of The Chase, and I'm not seeing that with this. This feels more like Eggheads, the UK game show, than it does The Chase, and if Eggheads was able to exist in the same world as The Chase, and they can both be on the air... Why can't a Best Ever Game Show exist in the same time as The Chase? And they're both 
one smaller scale than the chase. The chase is supposed to be an epic, was it the huge money and that final chase. This seems more like it's going to be stripped Monday through Friday with a returning champion, which I can't even remember the last time that happened of uh, probably rich list, the money list, I guess. Not like game show network shows have returning champions. So, so this is, this is kind of interesting and I can't wait to see how that works. My only gripe right now is why is it called Best Ever Trivia Show and not Best Trivia Show Ever? Because that would make sense in terms of the naming, because Best Blank Ever, like Best Week Ever, which I'm guessing is the reason you picked Sherry Shepard, maybe, because of some of her stinks on the Best Week Ever. But maybe if by doing Best Ever Trivia Show, you get the initials B-E-T-S, which is bets. So that, that, that could possibly be a reason. I don't know. I'm curious to see how this goes. They already have a trivia game show called Common Knowledge. So this is just going to add one more trivia show to the mix. But who knows? It could actually be a lot of fun. And if it's Sherry Shepard, it should be a little funny too. So it seems like they're going to get experts that actually have like a personality. They're going to try and make it fun, very lighthearted. And I can't wait to see how how that goes. So uh, call me intrigued. I have a few trivia guys who would probably love to be the expert on that show. McCroyds and Appeal Studios have announced that Fort Boyard will release on Nintendo Switch, a party game based on the adventure game show. Alone or up to four players, you must participate in challenges that will test your endurance, dexterity, and perseverance to earn as many Boyard coins as you can. With these, you can gather the keys that are needed to access the treasure that the stone vessel hides. Fort Boyard will release for Nintendo Switch worldwide. Worldwide? June 2019. So America gets a Fort Boyard game. Whoa. Now that's actually interesting. Because Fort Boyard, I mean, barely is in the sphere of American game shows. There was a Disney XD game show. Uh, there was an attempt to do it in America so many different times. I think they had one in the early 90s, I believe. And it just kind of faltered. So I'm excited about about playing Fort Boyard today. I know the French have that as a nostalgia factor. And that's kind of reason it's still on the air to this day is that adventure storytelling Man, I'm I'm excited. I don't know how they're going to do Oh No Snakes and Spider challenges, but but sure. So Bonajay, who also did the Ryan Reynolds game show Don't, uh, is also announced through MIP TV that they're set for a U.S. remake after of the Crystal Maze. After the producer behind Facebook's reboot of The Real World started developing a version of the hit game show C21 Understands, the format sold globally by Bonajay writes which aired 30 years ago in the UK, was relaunched in 2017 by Fizz, part of RDF Television. It became a, okay, okay show. The show re- retains a cult following among fans and requires five contestants led by an eccentric maze master and journey through a giant set made up of four zones, four time zones, medieval, Aztec, industrial, futuristic. In each zone, contestants must tackle physical, mystery, skill, or mental games to bid elusive crystals, which are worth only precious seconds inside the crystal dome. Or at the end, the team uses that time to collect gold tickets to secure the grand prize. It is one of my favorite game shows of all time. It is my favorite UK game show, so I am thrilled as hell about this. You have no idea. Like, I was, when I read the news... I was doing like cartwheels, backflips, you name it. I I was trying to dig back to my old like 40-page dissertation on an American remake of The Crystal Maze. <clears throat> It'd be the latest series of veteran formats to return to screens, joining the real world on Facebook, which is set to debut in the upcoming weeks. 
Last year, Amazon ordered its own version of the classic Mark Burnett adventure show, Eco Challenge, which Netflix has rebooted Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. So, if anything, this could end up on on a on a on Netflix or a Hulu or a streaming service by the sounds of things, considering how they're partnering with a lot of internet formats, including if they got Facebook for the real world. So I'm going to lead more heavily towards it's a streaming service, but it could be Fox. It could be uh, a, probably a young adult show, considering the the way you're handling it. it is, if you're doing Crystal Maze, you might end up trying to make it kind of like a people are going to see it as a ripoff version of the Maze Runner. So you're going to get young adults. So that could be MTV. That could be Freeform, for instance. So I, I didn't find my 40-page dissertation, but I did have my notes on what I would do if I was to make the Crystal Maze. Besides me being the, the Maze Master, because I like, I want, I, I, if I can't be Maze Master, I, I have the vision in mind of what I want to do. So I, I'm going to save most of this for the Crystal Maze episode. I'll try and find my dissertation, 40 pages of it, and read as much as I can with my guest, uh, but here it is. <clears throat> and we're we're gonna pretend it's a six act show. So first is the introduce the contestants and go into the crystal maze act. Then each act is a different zone, and then the final zone is the crystal dome and the like prize reveal. So the four zones in the UK version are Aztec, Medieval, Industrial, and Future. So I, I'm trying to retool it because UK game show was all about mis. Uh, about fantasy and mysticism so the host can't really be a game show host it can't be like congratulations you uh no it has to be like a almost like a dungeon master someone who's clearly not who's clearly playing a character but you don't believe they are a real person like an ed tudor pole or a richard o'brien it's very mysticism it's very mystical it's we are in this zone and we need these precious crystals <clears throat> So the zones I created are based on American fantasy rather than British fantasy. Uh, first is space, which is going to be like the future zone. So it's going to look a lot like Star Wars, Star Trek, a lot of lens flare. Almost looks exactly like the future zone as is now in the modern reboot. Uh, the industrial zone is going to look more apocalyptic. Think Walking Dead. Think Mad Max. Think a lot of chains. Think a lot of sheet metal. Lots of things hanging everywhere. Looks like the world has gone astray. Number three is the castle. Because, you know, you have to have the castle. I think that's a crucial part of of the Crystal Maze. And it shouldn't even be in this version. Because in, in today's world, we have the, like, the Game of Thrones. And we have Lord of the Rings. And that's a very, very predicament version of fantasy novelization is still the castle. So you could easily just bring the castle back. And four is a Western zone. Now, most people want Aztec zone, but because this is America, I got to think Western movies. I got to think something like True Grit, Red Dead Redemption. Maybe if you want to go into this, maybe a bit more Westworld, if anything. It should be like a Westworld experience. So that way, when you're going through these games, which are two to three minutes long playing for the same crystals... You go into the Crystal Dome, and that Crystal Dome feels exactly something straight out of a Marvel movie. It, it feels like there's a light show going on. It feels like this is the Infinity War final round. Because if, if we're going to try a new storytelling in this, contestants on the Crystal Maze are supposed to be heroes. And the person that's the Maze Master is just guiding them through them, trying to be the sidekick to instruct them on what's going on so they can be the help. Almost like the... 
almost like an Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars sort of deal. So, so I, I, I have like a whole lot of ideas. I'd be talking all day about this, but we really got to get going. And I, 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 man, if you want to talk to me about Crystal Maze all day, please hit me up on Twitter at Jordha or on email or through Discord, whatever. Because I, I, this is one of those things where it's like I have all these ideas. If you're listening to this, please get a hold of me. I'm excited for this. I'm excited for don't get on this. I, I don't know which A-list celebrity you're going to get to host this game. Please don't do the Oh No Snakes and Spiders. Please keep the mental games so people get scream at their television of you can't be this, this dim-witted. Because that's an important thing of the show. Okay. Deep breath. Okay. <clears throat> Whew. Snooker was invented by a slaw man, Sir Neville Francis Fitzgerald Chamberlain, who was born in Upton Park. January 13th, 1856. Chamberlain trained at the Sandhurst Military College before joining the 11th Devonshire Regiment in 1873 and being posted to India. It was in 1875 that Chamberlain created a game called Snooker. During the rainy season, young officers spent much of their time in the billiards room, and several of the games they played allowed for some gambling. Two of the most popular ones were Pyramids and Blackpool. In pyramids, there were 15 red balls arranged in a pyramid, and each time a player potted a red ball, his opponent had to pay a forfeit. In Blackpool, each player had a different colored cue ball, and when an opponent potted that ball, which is put in the pocket, they had to pay a fee to rejoin the game. If the opponent pocketed the black ball after an opponent's ball, the fee was much greater. Chamberlain combined elements of these two games to create a new one, which he persuaded his fellow officers to try. One day, when a player missed an easy shot, Chamberlain remarked that he was a snooker, which was slang for a new recruit at the Woolwich Military Academy. Chamberlain went on to say that they were all snookers at this game, and that's when the name stuck. Chamberlain had various postings throughout India, and introduced the game whenever he went. He was stationed in Madras in 1881 to 1885, and the game became very popular in the Uta Club era. I can never pronounce that right. This is where the rules were worked out in detail for the first time. During a visit to India in 1885, John Roberts, the world billiards champion at the time, sought out Chamberlain in order to learn the game of snooker. He then introduced the game to England. Chamberlain was promoted to captain in 1885, major shortly afterwards, and lieutenant colonel in 1887. He was military secretary to the Kashmir government from between 1890 and 1897. When he was reorganized the Kashmir army in 1899, he was promoted to colonel. As well as India, Chamberlain also served in South Africa in Ireland he died in his home in Ascot in 1944. While the invention of snooker has its roots of military, and with successful shows like Bullseye with darts, BBC took their chance with a show called Big Break. But is this the game show due for a comeback? Can two friends who grew up playing video games and doing their best Charlie Brooker impression make sense of this game? And can we try to not bring up how awful Jim Davidson has become? Well, you know how we solve this, by rotating that cardboard wall. So let's turn the tables! 
With me on the line is the basically the, the DM, the dungeon master of the game of Rossalon, and one of my close personal friends online, Mr. <laughs> ben Patton. <laughs> Hello, hello. I, 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 we gotta just, we have been on the internet and almost on again, off again friends for Yeah, it's like, it has to be almost a decade at this point. Yeah, I was just thinking about that because it was, yeah, it was probably around what, 2010, 2011? It was a while ago. And like, God, I, I recorded the pilot episode of Port Center eight years ago. I cannot believe. And I was like the one of the first people who saw that pilot in like amazing. And like I was the one saying go for it, and now it's become this big like a semi cult phenomenon of a show. People see yeah, suggestions. I yeah I I still I get emails and and tweets about the show uh, whenever I have to take a break, which I occasionally you know do for my health. Uh, I always get messages asking when Port Center is coming back. I love doing the show. Like I think that's the important thing about when you when you, you're doing something creative, make sure it's something you're you're passionate about, and that's one of the reasons why like I'm 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 super jazzed that you're doing this show because I know that game shows are something that you know you are super into. So it's really cool to. You know, you're doing this, and I get to be on it. That's and, fantastic. And you have a, a and, and you get to basically create the better Doctor Who on Game of Thrones. I I don't know that I would call it better. Certainly, one I I would position it as 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 a uh, alternate reality. You know, also, ran Doctor Who is the way I would describe it. It's basically the Game of Rassilon is um it's. A, so you have to excuse me because uh, because I, I have a I should probably mention this in case my voice sounds weird to your listeners. Uh, this week left side of my face uh, became suddenly paralyzed. I have Bell's palsy, which is a really cruel thing to call something uh, that paralyzes half of your face. Um, but it means that my, uh, because my face is, is paralyzed uh, on the left side, it's a little bit harder for me to talk. Um, but uh, the game of Rassilon is, is wish fulfillment. It's, it's, I've always wanted to write for Doctor Who and this allows me to do that. We're playing the Doctor Who role-playing game. Um, I'm the I'm the GM. I co-write the campaign with my friend Michael Nixon, and the players are uh, uh, right, uh, Dan Peck, who works in the writers' room for Family Guy, Riley Silverman. She plays our Doctor. She's a writer for Troubled Waters on Maximum Fun, um, and uh, Melinda Catherine Gross, who is a, uh, a writer and script Doctor. And they're all very brilliantly talented, wonderfully funny people who all love Doctor Who. And I feel really, um, really fortunate and privileged to be able to play this game and, you know, come up with these, you know, collaborate on these stories with these people. I feel really, really fortunate to get to do that. Uh, you sound fine, by the way, on my end, Ben. Oh, thank you. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm very, uh, I'm very um, uh, self-conscious about, like, Fs, Ps, and Vs, because... I, because I'm only using half of my mouth, I, oh. I can I can hear it, uh, but I don't know how. I, I thought it was because like know, a British thing, like a what in the. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 just the uh, I'm still getting used to because it because it, it happened on uh, Sunday Monday. Oh. Uh, I'm still getting used to speaking only using half of my mouth. I was on stage. I'm also a stand-up comedian. I did a show at Flappers in Burbank 
on Monday night. Oh, right next and my, to that great, uh, right next to that Buffalo Wild Wings and that. Yeah, yeah, show. like that whole neck of the woods. I um, I performed at Flappers. It's the first time I've been there, I want to say three or four years. Um, and uh, I could feel my face going numb while I was on stage. And I thought, oh no, this is awful. I, I felt nervous. I forgot half of my set. And I, I messaged the guy who booked me, wonderful guy named Ken. I messaged him the next day to say, look, I just want to apologize. I'm sure I beefed it up there. Um, and, uh, you know, I just got diagnosed with Bell's palsy and, uh, I, my face was going numb while I was on stage and I was really worried about it. And I wanted to talk, apologize. And he messaged me back to say, no, 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 you are great. The MC loved you and mentioned you to me by name. We want you back. So I will, I will be performing at, uh, at, at Flappers again at some point in the near future. I just don't know when. Uh, by the time this episode airs, I'm pretty sure it'll be that day. So just let me draw me a line. I'll be sure to plug it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So and, and it's it's fun being because you are really like one of the most encouraging people here, and and you have a great Doctor Who fan. I, and I think that was kind of the funniest thing is it's like back then it's the I guess I'm gonna be in the bat in the Bad Wolf universe because that game show <laughs> episode like. Oh boy! Androids and yeah, the 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 Trini and Susanna robots from uh, what not to um, wear, what not to wear, and then you know Ground Force and Big Brother. That was such a that is such a great episode. It's so much fun, and it's the kind of thing that um, which you know uh, I'm on board one hundred percent. It's like what? <laughs> All these games, this is like a nightmare fuel for anyone else but me. <laughs> yeah, I thought I, I thought it was so much fun. I, and I think it's that's the kind of story. Doctor Who can be so many things. Like it can be you know horror one week and action the next, and then comedy the following week, and then the week after that it's all three. And I thought that. Um, uh, Bad Wolf, the episode with all the game show stuff. I thought they did such a good job of uh, of combining all of these game shows and making them kind of kind of almost abstract sci-fi horror versions of themselves. And when I ask if you would do it, of course you probably. I I thought you were going to say no because. You are a very busy man, right? You have all these podcasts. You have uh, the toy. Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, I, I, as well as the game of Rassilon, I do the life toyetic with Ben and Molly, where my friend Molly, Alice Hoy, and I, we watch a movie that is based on a toy property or video game. We actually recorded an episode earlier today. Uh, we did Barbie and the Magic of Pegasus, which, again, horrible title for me to say when half of my face is paralyzed. Um, but uh, we, it, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, we've been doing that podcast now for slightly over a year. And it's, and I would say it's the most whimsical, but also the most like joyful thing because it's also oh, celebrating you. toys. You're celebrating yeah, it's, toys, and then it's just oh, they made this yeah. cash. <laughs> oh, it's it's interesting because we didn't we didn't come into this podcast. We didn't come into the life toyetic thinking. Let's make a bad movie podcast. No, it's but like unfortunately, movie, for instance, like that is someone's, <laughs> someone's childhood yeah. is Transformers the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I try to look at these things objectively, and um, you know, some of them are object. Like we did, we did, we looked at the. There's a Furby movie called Furby Island, which what? is just—it's so bad. We did an episode about that last year, and it is one of the worst movies I have ever seen in my life. We found it on YouTube. It like Hasbro have disowned it, so we we just went <laughs> onto YouTube and we watched it. And it is it is forty five minutes. It's like a I think it was like a backdoor pilot for a TV show that didn't happen, but it was so bad. Um, I I don't I don't even know how to handle. But look, I I mean, like if there's any 
thing that I know is if if board game's a toy, yeah. then home games are technically adaptations into game shows. So you're feeling a little bit at home here then. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Especially considering the subject matter, because, uh, you know, if you're going to have a British person on, why not talk about some British game shows? Yes, and then when I asked him, you said yes. It's like, oh, wow. Okay, this is the big moment. It's going to be a big UK game show. Finally, I can break into the UK game show market with a guest. It's going to be Countdown. It's going to be Crystal Maze. It's going to be Bullseye. It's going to be the Generation Game. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be 3 to nope. one It's going to... Nope. I can do the three, two, one hand signal. By the way, I got very good at doing that as a kid. That is, um, we'll see if we can find Dusty Ben. Too. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I, 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 uh, I, the show we are going to be talking about, I picked because it was like uh, it was appointment viewing for our family as a kid when I was a kid, um, and I just I remember watching it. I remember um, being hooked, you know, hooked to it as a kid, like just kind of glued to the screen. And it took me a while, like, as an adult, I, I remember thinking back on it, and I've had the theme tune stuck in my head since, you know, for like two weeks before you asked me if I wanted to do the show, the theme <laughs> has been stuck in my head. And I remember thinking, why did I, I don't like Jack Matter. Why did, why was I watching this game? And we watched the episode, I don't know if you've named it yet, but uh, we watched the first, ep- we watched an episode from 2001 together, and uh, it's it's wretched right up until it isn't. It's uh, it was it's big break and the theme song, which we'll go because because we talk about all the aspects. We talk about the game and the show and the theme song, which is from a guy by the name of Captain Sensible, which I don't think is fitting considering the context of the host's so comedy. You, you just uh, you just cut out. I lost you for like ten oh, seconds. It's a uh, Captain Sensible is the uh, musician, the guy who created. The theme song, he performed oh, it, which is not fitting for <laughs> considering the host no. and his comments. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. So how much, uh, how much of the history of this show do you want to share? Oh, off we'll the, go off through the a bat. bit of it. The, yeah. the only thing I know is just that I'm going to be snookering you tonight. And I'm like, what the fuck? You're not the, snookering the, me. Fuck. I know you're buying me dinner first. Before I will be that. completely honest with you. As a kid, I always heard that as snookering in tonight, and I was like, "What?" As like when I was thinking about the theme tune a couple of weeks ago, I was asking myself, "Why was it snookering in? What does that mean? Does that mean anything?" And it wasn't until you sent me the lyrics that I realized, "Oh, I've just been mishearing it my entire life because I'm bad at the English language." I'm. It's only a game, so put up a real good fight. Yes. I'm going to be snookering you tonight. I'm famed uh, for my aim, so you better believe I'm right. I'm going to be snookering you, snookering you tonight. Wow. <laughs> Big break. Shocking. Uh, so the format is based off snooker. Uh, yes. and just in case you're an American like me, snooker is basically billiards. It's billiards yeah. as a game show, but instead of eight ball or nine ball, it's kind of like a weird quasi version where there's a bunch of red balls and then six colored balls. I think it's six and six. I think so. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I guess again, supposed to be in snooker. You pocket a red ball and then pocket a colored mm-hmm. ball. I think there's some yeah. order and you got to go back and forth pocketing one I, into each hole. I think like that's the, the variation of it. I will say this: We watch this every weekend on the on BBC One. I think it was BBC One, yeah. 
and we were hooked to the TV, I have never in my entire life understood the rules of snooker. I barely understand pool. It's, uh... In this one, it, I think I don't. I think this came out bef- like after Bullseye. Bullseye was a big hit yeah. in the eighties. Darts yeah, yeah. was a thing. People loved seeing people play darts with and seeing a dart celebrity because they watched yeah. darts. And they were like, "Well, what else can we do? That's a big pub game that people play. Snooker. Okay, well, we'll just try our hand at this." Yeah. Well, I think part of it was I remember the snooker being on the BBC in like the early to mid afternoon, like when countdown was on channel four, the BBC was showing the snooker. And I think the snooker was doing quite well on the BBC in the early nineties. And I thought, I think their thought process was, Oh, let's turn this into a game show. So around, I want to say 91, 92, um, I might be, might be wrong. It might've been a little bit earlier than that. Um, but that's when big break made its debut on the BBC. It made its debut specifically Thanks to Wikipedia, April 30th, 1991. Wow. That is, that's four days after my fourth birthday. Happy birthday, Ben. Thank Have you. the gift of Jim Davids. <laughs> the gift of... So, uh, quickly, we'll go to the rules. The, the easiest way to format the rule is uh, we get the, the snooker people, and the first round is called uh, Red Hot where there would be five questions and for each uh question that they get right they would get an increase of time yeah uh so so it started with 40 and they can either win five seconds or lose five seconds and goes from there yeah uh then the snooker people would try to pocket up to 10 red balls in even though there was very complicated rules the, the joke yeah. is basically just pocket as many balls as you can yeah and they don't even really play like too strict snooker rules like in the episode that we watched there was a point when the ball you're supposed to wait till the ball has come to a stop there was a point where the ball was in transit and um god i can't remember the guy's name the guy who's basically the referee virgo um uh yeah john John virgo Virgo, yeah is a Um, distinguished uh presenter of snooker presentation yeah Um, baffling absolutely baffling um but yeah he was saying the ball while you know hit it while the ball's in motion because there's a timer in this so they're not playing to like strict snooker rules it's all about the these professional snooker players trying to earn money and prizes for the contestants it's speed it's speed snooker you have 40 seconds get as many balls as you can uh whoever if there's uh and then whoever has the lowest amount of red balls at the end of this round is a limit from the game it's paid with three contestants and three experts the experts get to play the game on their behalf it's just the contestants job to answer trivia questions that's it in the event of a tie (laughs) they have a sudden death question where the correct answer wins featuring the most obnoxious buzzer noise i've ever heard in my life oh my god it was like a it was like an air raid siren on like virgil 7 or something game show buzzers you if i'm telling you in the history of game show buzzers this is the most obnoxious this is like air raid with a car alarm yeah it's just it's like they it's like what it sounds like is it sounds like they played a bunch of potential buzzers to a producer and the producer said these sound good let's how about all of them at once let's do uh, every so, one so of these there, one or two beep or yes bop. uh how about keep this going. boo boo um uh-huh. mm-hmm. I, I like where your head's at keep right. going woo woo good okay i like that give me one more give me one <laughs> more 
Okay, that's good. actually you know what? Give me get, put a little bit of mustard on it, just a little. <laughs> there we go. Okay, so now how about this is going to sound wild, but trust me, this is going to be great. How about all of those at the same time? <laughs> yeah. Well, the sound we should, the sound we want to be going for is arthritic geriatric robot Santa Claus choking to death on a lean cuisine. That is actually probably the best way to describe it. If you can explain like a transformer uh, feeling like they lost their wallet. A transformer who has lost his wallet while choking on a fishbone. That is exactly the best way to describe Big Break. Uh, yeah. And that buzzer noise. Because, oh my god, that was... Horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. And so someone gets eliminated, but they're not walking away empty-handed. They get to keep any money they've banked, yeah. which is nothing. It's usually like $300. Oh, sorry, 300 pounds, which at the time would have been about $400 $450-ish, which in modern money is probably closer to, I don't know, maybe eight or $900. Yes. So not like not like big stakes money. It's no. not like American game show money. It's They actually don't get, no, apparently they don't get any money. So the Vigo's trick oh, really? shot is their way to make money. Huh. So the mini game is the runner up plays a trick shot game. If they complete the trick shot that Vigo sets up for them, like which is a, like a mini physical challenge, they would win a uh, a, a prize. Uh, huh. So if they were close, they would get the. Basically, it's just an easy way to, for them to win the consolation prize. Uh, and then if they really did suck, Davidson would offer an old record by an unpopular artist whom the contestant would not recognize. Hmm. Then we move on to round two, which is called pocket money. In this round, uh, a contestant is sitting next to John Davidson, and there are six categories, and each one is based on a ball. The red balls, which is the most yeah. established one, is potluck, or general knowledge, pretty much. Past, yeah. which is history, events. Music, which is music. Places, which is places. People, yeah, it which sounds, is... It's, it's trivial pursuit, basically. Yeah, it's just trivial pursuit. And yeah. screen is black. If, answer, if they pocket a ball, uh, they get money. The red balls are worth 10 pounds. And then everything up that as it grows, it goes like 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. And if it's in their established hole, which is on the corners of the mm. of the snooker table, it's double, which means a double black could be as much as 140 pounds. Hmm. Whoever got the most money uh, would go on to the fi final. The way it worked is the snooker player would keep po pocketing the balls by tradition, almost traditional snooker rules uh, for 90 seconds. If they miss, like which would be the case in most snooker rules and, and billiards, it would play to the contestant based on what ball they attempted to pocket. If they got okay. a question wrong, they would go to another question until they got one right. The idea is supposed to be to eat away the time for 90 seconds. Most money wins. Uh, runners up gets to po pocket their money and go away. And then we go on to the big finale called Make or Break. Yes. This is what I would say is my favorite part of the game. So this is kind of like the bully's prize board of, 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 yeah. of Big Break. Where the contestant has to get five question gets five questions and there's I think ninety seconds on the clock. The ninety yeah. seconds is shared between both of them. Yeah. For every so correct about, answer, so the, the yeah the contestant has to answer those questions as quickly as possible so that the the snooker player has as much time as is possible to hit the balls that are on the table. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then the prices get more elaborate as it goes along. Uh, I'm gonna try and find the the snooker color rule. Snooker color rule, just so that way I don't have to. Okay, it starts yellow, then green, then brown, then blue, then pink, then black. Yeah, that sounds right. All right. 
I say that like I have any not. I don't know anything about snooker. I know how to spell snooker, and I know how to say it, and that is it. It's it's. We, look, we're both nerds. We're not really sports. <laughs> we're. But uh, it's so yellow to green to brown to blue to pink to black. So yeah. and and they get each prize. So for the one we saw, if they get all the red balls, they want a case of champagne. And then as it grew, it, <laughs> it goes to things like a trip to Edinburgh <laughs> to an iMac computer because this was 2001. So it was that that raspberry looking iMac computer. Yeah. Oh, my God. That thing was beautiful. That is a price. We both went. Wow. <laughs> Astounding. They, by the way, two years after the iMac made its debut, because I remember seeing them in what, 98, 99? Yes, those dancing um, iMacs. And that, that thing came out the same year, though this prize was being given away the same year as the Game Boy Advance made its debut. Well, then it was also a fax machine. Ooh, yeah. Here's the thing. The fax machine is a lower tier prize. If you get the iMac, you don't need the fax machine because you're not going to be faxing anybody. You're going to be sending emails like a person. No one uses fax. Only 2001, maybe someone's using a fax machine. But that... that prize doesn't age well at least with an imac today you could still play starcraft on it in, cha in champagne i mean that that is always an everlasting prize oh absolutely who doesn't want to champagne, champagne never goes like better um yeah and then the black was the mystery star prize which is supposed to be like the big grand prize in britain star prize is grand prize yeah because of a game show called shoot for the stars that's i did not know that uh, that's how we get the term star prize big because star prize and that was like a grand prize grand mm. prize i think is only because grandiose yeah uh, <laughs> nothing really makes sense welcome to and now tell me about uh, uh about lifts and boots yeah. and <laughs> bonnets and uh, yeah so, so that's so they get to win up to seven prizes and yeah and on a way, that's essentially the game is just snooker, speed snooker, trivia questions, and and it's a nice call and it's a nice fun game to see. But yeah, it's it's interesting because again, I've never been interested in snooker as a sport, and I cannot tell you the rules, but I can tell you that my family and I were hooked on this show every week. But the presentation is also part of the game. You know, a game show is two yeah. aspects, and. Man, the this show host has some issues. Is Jim Davidson. Yes, Jim Davidson was a former snooker player who later became a stand-up comedian. Yes, he uh, is the best. What's the best? What's the most politically correct way to describe him? <laughs> he's an asshole. That's yeah. That's probably it. Like this is the kind of guy that a lot of the Daily Mail comment section would enjoy. Yeah, uh, the the people who really do instigate that you need to watch these YouTube videos about logic and reason destroying yeah, SKWs. He, he, he definitely voted leave. He um, definitely. I was saying when we were watching it that it is. I think that the people when Big Break went off the air, everyone who watched that show transitioned over to Top Gear to listen to Jeremy Clarkson be a twat. Um, but I think that the key the key thing is that. You correctly identified while we were watching the episode that Jim Davidson is like a, a British Tim Allen. He is a British Tim Allen. Yeah. Most of his material 
is exactly like bro material, but not like because bro mm. material is like Dane Cook. You know, what's yeah. up, guys? You ever want to smack a guy in the face? You know, no, his is kind of like women, minorities, <laughs> like disabled people, and and gay, like gay, like any kind of thing that is a social justice issue that is worth fighting for. He is pretty much mocking full on yeah. on this game show. Like there was yeah, one where not... the question was how many letters are in the Hawaiian like as a joke answer how many letters are in the Hawaiian alphabet then how many days of Christmas or what is the square root of one forty four so you can easily get to yeah. twelve as he is explaining it he does this like horrendous almost Asian accent oh God where we're trying to say like what the hell is he trying to pronounce like. He he! Tr- we almost were going for. He's trying to do a ukulele. It was it was horrendous. And then he would mock uh, deaf people because he was trying to do sign language. He, uh, he he had a go. He had a go at every person. Like he had, he attacked the deaf. He attacked Hawaiians. He went over the. He went after the Scottish. He went after the Irish. He went after the it's Scottish. Like there was no for no like group. Eight he later, was not try to give away a trip to Edinburgh. Just trying to bring that up there. <laughs> As he's go- doing your, I'm from Scotland, do do do, hag is it? it uh, also, I don't, and then like doing all your offensive shit. Well, what's the round prize? It's a trip to Edinburgh. And there was like a creepy doll, and it's like, oh my god. It's I honestly, I thought the prize was just the doll. I didn't realize it was a trip to Edinburgh. And I thought it was just here's a creepy Scottish doll. This is your third place prize this is better than the fax machine but not as good as the imac but then again it's like okay well if we had to figure out like mathematics wise like financials the yeah. fax machine's probably around like 200 like 200 pound yeah and the imac is definitely in the upper 800 so some so i guess a, a day trip or a weekend getaway to scotland yeah, in the night in the early two thousands, would probably be around four hundred, five hundred. So that would make sense. Like this is like a, yeah. you, it's like we're not paying for flight or or your your train ticket or anything. So you're just gonna have to do that. But the yeah. hotel is on us. <laughs> yeah, you will. You you get yourself there. We'll figure out the rest. It's but now imagine all that, and then like eight minutes later, it's just here is this bumbling chuckle fuck just. He, you know, he would be the kind of guy that would drop his pants and pretend to take a shit on the stage if he could. He he does have the air of like this is the kind of guy who uh, says the shocking thing because he thinks the reaction from the shocking thing is the same as the reaction to a funny joke. Like he gets a reaction from the audience, so that that's good enough for him. Yeah, you man, this is funny. It's uh, you yeah. know, where are my honkies at? Oh boy. Hey, you're funny, right? Ah, ah, ah. Anyway, oh. I saw a comedian. I actually saw a comedian a lot like Jim Davidson um, in uh, Hemsby uh, near Great Yarmouth in England back in 2000 and, God, 2003, 2004. Um, and it was horrible. He was the worst. It was just, it just wasn't funny. The whole thing was just, hey, how you doing? I'm offensive. Like, that's... I mean, we're not going to delve into shock comedy, even though you yeah. are the expert in 
in comedy on the show between I the wouldn't, two of us. I wouldn't call myself an expert. I'm a comedian. That don't don't conflate comedian with like inherently funny. I can make people laugh. Certainly, Jim Davidson himself says in this episode he's not meant to be smart. He's a comedian. Now, I would say that if you're going to be a comedian, you have to be smart. You have to think about what you are saying. You have to be able to construct a joke and string a sentence together. And Jim Davidson, to his credit can string a sentence together. It's just the sentences are more often than not racist, sexist, or offensive. He's a bad man. He is a horrendous person. That being said though, John Virgo is a delight. Oh, John Virgo is fantastic. But the problem is the show tries really hard at the beginning to make them kind of a comedy double act. And John Virgo being like, when he's talking about snooker, he's in his element. When he's reading the auto cue and trying to be funny with John Davidson, he's not as strong at that. He's not an actor. He's just a presenter. Yeah. Like, if it's just it really should have been flipped. If anything, flip the fucking yeah. script. Get Virgo to do the introductions round, or just do the entire show. Can we just get Davidson like out? <laughs> I, I want him blasted. Out of a cannon into the sun is what I want to happen to John David, uh, uh, Jim Davidson. I just, I just the man, Jim Davidson has an OBE, which which devalues literally every other OBE. He's 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 he's, he's that's an honorific that is given to you by the Queen, and he has one for going up on stage and making racist jokes about Hawaiians. Well, it, just so we're clear here, just so you know, we're not, we're not going to try and make this the fuck Jim Davidson, he's a piece of shit hour. But No, I'll do that. I'll, like, tweet me if you want to have a go at Jim Davidson, he, because he did, I will join in He with did you. declare bankruptcy in 2006 because he failed to pay taxes. Yes. He also has, been, and again, not to say that if a person is divorced it means they're morally bankrupt it just means that they had a marriage and it didn't work but he has been divorced four times out of five it's uh oh hang on march 2004 davidson an outspoken conservative supporter publicly left the uk for the tax-free haven of dubai good grief in protest of the labor government (laughs) oh God. god He moved back to the UK after living in Dubai for five years. He also expressed sympathy for the UKIP. Oh, God. Jesus. He really is like the biggest piece of shit. He he made comments. In the episode that you and I watched, he was was very proud about the fact that his license plate didn't have the EU symbol on it. It had the British flag on it. And as soon as he said that, I thought, this motherfucker, I bet he voted leave. No, no. Then then he's trying to... No, the one I remember was he talked to one of the pros... And at mm. the time, he was a big, famous pro. Like, he was making probably stinking rich amounts of money as a professional yeah. soccer player. And they're doing the joke of, last time we chatted, you bought a Ferrari. What What did you do? Were you still that Ferrari? I sold it. Oh, why? It's not British enough for you? Ugh. No, no I, I, I need it to... I have a family, and I'm just taking care of them, and I figure that's not a good expense to have. It's not practical. I'll get rid of it. Yeah, you should keep the car, get rid of the family. Boom, <laughs> boom, says I, Jim Davidson. And, it's, uh, and then to deconstruct the joke, the joke is, well, you're, if you are a humble man, you're a real human being, you would do that kind of thing. You yeah. would make that kind of sacrifice to better your family. So, so flipping the script on that would be the joke. Yeah. I am almost... Guaranteed, he would do that. He would fucking yeah. say, fuck the family, I'm keeping the fucking car. And that is probably a cause <sighs> of many of his divorces. Yeah, and that's why he had to go to Dubai. 
the uh the set has changed though and in the early yeah. ones it looked like a little pool, like a little like a snooker lounge you know there's nice little yeah. lamps little window dressing a gal like a gallery sign where the screen would show up mm. in the one that it we felt- saw in 2001 yeah it's uh well, the- <laughs> it's it's a generic it felt- game show set it felt like a significantly smaller set lots of circles lots of circle backdrops which mm. i guess would fit the deck decor uh, it looked like a, if you, the easiest way to describe it, if you ever go to Target and you look at the basket, notice it's not really like hexagons, but rather circles. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine they just got a whole bunch of those and layered it around the, the set and then put like some set, some spotlights around it and made it extra, yeah. extra glossy and silver, 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 silver. Oh boy. Yeah. It's that set just felt, I mean, it's a nice enough set. It's just, a, it feels a lot smaller than the set that they were using in 91. Also, oh, I should also point this out. That was, apparently, uh, they lasted till 2002, so that was near the end. Wow. Yeah, that's 11 years. Uh, I did the math. They've had 222 episodes. So they wow. didn't even have a thousand. Jim, you fucking lied to me, buddy. I, you, uh, why would why would game shows lie to me? Also, I guess it just kind of shows that I guess it's not always American game show hosts that lean into this dipshit conservative. I guess it all counts to some UK people too, except for uh, well, like let's take a guess, like maybe uh, definitely Dale Winton, like you said in before the recording. Yeah, definitely. Uh, probably um, probably Dara Brian, probably Dara. Yeah, he's doing blockbusters Almost now. Certainly, he's yeah, doing, so. Wait, wait, wait. They, they revived Blockbuster again? Yeah, this time with Dara as the host, and it's for Comedy wow. Central. And the joke is um, going to be they're all millennials. Really? Yeah, so the joke is they're all millennials as the contestants, so Dara can dunk on them. But the prizes are all experiences, because once again, millennials. Yeah. It's, good, good grief. It's a game show, folks. Uh, <laughs> Big Break is, uh, is it's kind of, it falls in the line of a sports game show. And I think that's a novel concept to have. Not a lot of game shows can do a hybrid of a sport with with a quiz, for instance. Yeah. Which which I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around things that are American that have done it. Usually, if something is of a sporting concept, it's just like a minor physical challenge on on our shows. Yeah. But here, or, that is a like good chunk of a half of it. Like trick shots, yeah. bonus shots, charity things. Oh, yeah. The bulk of the, the interesting part of the show is not the trivia, because the trivia is nothing. The trivia is feels like fluff. The interesting part is when the, uh, the snooker professionals are doing their thing very quickly. And That's even, again, even as someone who knows nothing about snooker, watching the episode with you now, um, I, I completely remember why I was captivated by it as a kid. It's Virgo with the snooker players. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah. And I was entertained, and I don't know a thing about snooker. <laughs> it's interesting, because there are so few sports that I think you could get away with doing this kind of format for. Um, Bullseye did it. Big Break did it. They tried to do that um, that diving show a few Splash. years ago. Like, yeah. Um, but there, there, there aren't really any other sports. I mean, you could probably call... Um, you know, uh, Dancing with the Stars and um, uh, Strictly Come Dancing is arguably in that same vein, but there aren't really a lot of um, a lot of sports. You couldn't do this with golf, for example. They actually could... did. What? What? Yeah, there's a no. game show called The Full Swing. No, 
Yeah. It, that sounds so boring. Golf is already boring. It only lasted eight episodes. That does not surprise me in the least. It was hosted by Jimmy Tarbuck. <laughs> oh my god. It was that for BBC One. BBC One! That sounds such, it sounds like such an ITV idea. It's, um, please explore. I can't, because BBC oh. One is, it's supposed to be, it, it's almost like CBS. It's supposed to be the... It's a BBC. A BBC One is like the BBC's flagship network. Like that is the channel where all their best stuff goes. That's the Doctor that is Who. Where, that's the. That's where BBC airs. That's... Yeah, Doctor Who airs. That's where um, uh, you know, a lot of their their, their top like, Top Gear airs on BBC One, for example. That's Everything the global else shows. Is on... These are the shows that yeah. will definitely end up somewhere in international formats. Yeah. Um, uh, BBC Two, Three, and Four. I mean, BBC Two is kind of imports and also ran stuff. BBC Three, when that was on, was aimed at a kind of a late teens, early twenties audience. And BBC Four is your more cerebral, intellectual programming, like yeah, dramas and documentaries, and uh, the original uh, British BBC version of Dirk Gently. You know, stuff like that. And Dark and, and Charlie Brooker's Screenwipe, which is something we yeah. both mutually had an agreement on. Absolutely, back, yeah. way, way back. I think that's helped us when we started our friendship like that yeah. is one of those shows we both got into and the yeah, ITV yeah. show is definitely what would be like a Fox network here like an over the I, top yeah. weird like strike I would, it lucky. I would actually uh, I would liken um, uh, hang on I'm gonna sneeze <laughs> yes uh, excuse me feel free to edit that out um, I would say that ITV is probably closer to ABC in that there's a lot of they just throw stuff at the wall to see what sticks, and often it doesn't. And then, like, ITV have had so few uh, successful uh, sitcoms, for example. Um, their game shows... I mean, they, they had stuff like Stars in Their Eyes and Blind Dates, uh, Family Fortune, which is the British version of Family Feud, yes. um, is all on ITV. But there's a, like ITV does a lot of... ITV is the like when you think about British shows and how they're allowed to swear and show nudity. ITV does not do that because they also have uh, commercial breaks, whereas the BBC does not. So ITV is more willing to. Uh, ITV is less willing to uh, to push boundaries in the way that the BBC uh, does. They just put. They have Alan Carr in a closet somewhere, frozen in carbonite, yeah. ready to frost him for the next game show adaptation. Yeah. They're just trying to move it's like, what if we do a panel show about carpet? Yeah. <laughs> what a thrilling new format. Speaking of Alan Carr doing panel shows, did you see um uh uh the fix on Netflix? Yes, I have. I was in the audience for one of the when they when they taped one of the episodes. Me and my girlfriend went uh on a date and we went, I got I was offered free tickets, so we went along and it was okay. It was it, it was ex what you expect of a panel show hosted by Jimmy Carr. But we tried. <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, so we what we we tried to watch an episode on Netflix, and we could not make it five minutes in. Oh, well. How much yeah. of it is auto cued? How much was prompter? I assume like uh, he's eighty percent. I mean, all of his opening spiel, like where yeah, he's the, you know doing his little jokes to the audience, and that's well, like, yeah. it's just repurpose of his stand up. Yeah, and that was all um, auto cue. 
But uh, and then when he's introducing the rounds, that's auto cued. But a lot of his banter with the audience that was not auto cued. Um, when the team captains are making their cases at the end of the episode, that is auto cued. Catherine Ryan and D.L. Hewley, because I don't think D.L. Hewley does good improv. I know Catherine yeah. does a bit of it. Yeah, this is we're now turning from big break to now this is the fixed episode. <laughs> oh, I don't know what else we can say about big break other than it existed and it was a a, a, a staple of. Saturday nights on BBC One for slightly over a decade, and then it went away, and then hopefully so did Jim Davidson. I don't know that there's anything else to add to the conversation on that front, oh, other than well, Big Break existed, and it probably won't exist again. If Should the show be revived? If so, how? No, and if it does, it shouldn't be. If you have to, do it without jimmy uh, uh jim davidson get uh what's this get rob bryden on the line to do it rob bryden i mean go with go with someone who's a little i mean here's the thing i think that i think that because of the nature of um of snooker and the the, the, the audience that watches snooker i do think you have to hew a little more um uh like i want to say blue collar um, a little less, uh, like Rob Ryden, I think is slightly too posh. Ironically, yeah. um, I think that Jimmy Carr might be able to pull it off. I think he's Jimmy Carr is kind of the 21st century, um, uh, Jim Davidson. But when he does offensive though, at least like he will flat out go, but this was a joke and I'm just trying to tell you folks. Like, Oh, I still think he's bad, but I think that he's the closest thing that, a modern audience has to a Jim Unless Davidson. Unless you get Clarkson, like, hey, yeah. while you're Clarkson's here, you're a filming millionaire, could you? Oh, Clarkson would have a heart attack from all of the like the the, the physical action on the on the stage. <laughs> I'm just watching this, and I'm very bored. I've been watching the snooker now for a full seventeen minutes, and I've never been more bored. Why can't I just go back to millionaire? Sound like Lloyd Grossman from Through the Keyhole. <laughs> yes. David, it's over to you. Hello. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, so the show should not be revived. The other question is, because it's an international format, should the show come to America? Bring the show to Who would America. host an American version of Big Break, though? Who would do that? Uh, Tim Allen. Who do you think? Tim, oh, Tim no, Allen's no, probably you know the what? right if choice. It was, if they were going to do Big Break here, it'd be Nine Ball. They would just make it pool sharks and put on ESPN two and then have it be like with some mm -hmm. like Rich Eisen or some sort of like presenter who's somewhat funny that they can just hire that's already on their staff. Yeah. And then have the final round be kinda like the final round there, both nine prizes. So you gotta pocket the one, now you pocket yeah. the two, then you pocket the three. Well, this is the thing. Big break is only a half hour show and what is the typical length of an American game show? Because I really only twenty two. Yeah, twenty two minutes. So they they can cut some banter or cut the trick mm. shot and continue playing it. I I don't know what you could lose for. I mean, the, you would have to lose. I think a lot of the well, you, one of the things we commented on when we were watching it is that British game shows tend to spend more time getting to know the contestants. I think if you cut that entirely, there's your ten minutes. You can always just have like a one minute banter, like this is so and so yeah. from Oklahoma. Oh, jeez. Oh, no, I'm getting anything sick. <laughs> You're so and so oh, from Texas. Here's so and so. <laughs> what do you yeah. do for a living? Oh, you're an Uber driver. Okay, well let's keep playing. You could win six hundred dollars. <laughs> but you have to keep that same Britishism of the ooh. 
How about $600 and a Microsoft Surface Pro 2? Whoa! Whoa! Congratulations, you have just won a Galaxy Tab. You could win a some expenses paid trip to Sacramento. Ooh! And a fax machine, courtesy of our friends at Office Depot. Fax machines, we have too many of them. We are now sponsored by Epson. Yes. It's, uh, so that kind of wraps <sighs> up Big Break. It's a, yeah. it's, a, I would say it's solid D show. <laughs> D. Oh boy. There's it's, way better British shows out there. It's, I rem watching it with you now, I remember why I watched it as a kid. The snooker stuff is genuinely interesting. The snooker stuff on its own, I would, and the, the trivia stuff kind of laced into it, I would say is probably maybe a, 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 a C minus. But when you add Jim Davidson to the mix, it's 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 a it's absolutely a D. And uh, it's just I've awful. I mean, I, I could you say it's it was the time a sign of the times, or was it just? I mean, maybe. Like that's the maybe, only other discussion yeah. we're having. It's just sign of the times. It's like. It's like going back and watching the match game now and everyone's drunk after the first commercial break. That wouldn't happen today. Um, unless it does, I don't know. I mean, I mean, they kind of did now with, uh, with Alec Baldwin. Because Baldwin's now the host. So they did probably yeah. get drunk nowadays. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You know what? Gr Graham Linehan, you're going to be the new host of Big Break in the UK. Oh, Congratulations. God, no. Oh, don't do that. Have, the show that's the thing is you can't do that because then they the show would never be able to have a trans woman as a contestant oh like they would have someone who's a person of color either or yeah. someone who's deaf or someone like with a disability anyway like every episode would end with graham line graham linehan harassing a trans member in the audience and being pulled off stage by a policeman that is how the show would end with him as the host as long as he gets arrested i'm okay that's a great ending to have all right, yeah, you know what, I'm in. You know, you know what, what? I think, you never mind. Me. If they're getting in with actual police, like, just handcuffing him and just, like, sir, you have to come with yeah. us for a quick minute back to the, to the precinct. Uh, I, I don't want you men telling me what to do. Sir, this is a Denny's. Get out of here. Sir. <laughs> sir. 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 I just, I don't understand why everyone keeps saying this. Stop calling me a turf. That's a slur. That's the thing. The thing I hate about Graham Linehan is anytime a trans woman tells him, hey, actually, let me tell you a little bit about, you know, my experience as a trans woman, his immediate go-to response every time is, I'm not going to listen to you because you're a man trying to tell me about being a woman, and I don't believe Fucked it. Off. He's a garbage boy. You know what? That's you know what? That's the thing, though. He, we did not he, see Jim Davidson do a trans joke. Well... In this episode, come on. I mean, I'm sure he did, the sure. he did the show for 11 years. There's going to be one in there. He's a garbage man. I'm going to take a he guess a here. You can make that kind of joke with like a female contestant giving a joke, like an answer that involves around some sort of macho, manly mm. thing like a sports or... Oh, maybe they have something between your legs. I don't need that in my TV. Like, I'm not going to watch that. I... I think what we should do is just consign the bits of Big Break that we like. Let's remember those, but let's consign the rest of it, which is largely Jim Davidson being a massive, massive shit. Let's put that in the garbage bin of history, and let's never speak of it again. That's a good idea. If anything, yeah. here, you know what? Here's the idea. 
just focus on the trick shot specials. They did a few specials where it was just the trick shots from the show and the compilation. Focus on yeah. that. Have a fun, if you're going to do something with, with a host, make sure they're fun and make sure they're inclusive. Because anything that is exclusive, anything that deliberately makes uh, a show of excluding people because of their ethnicity, because of their ethnicity or their sexuality or their gender identity, fuck that noise. And fuck that person for being an exclusive uh, piece of shit. It's, um, it's, it's an awful thing. Yeah. Uh, and the, before we, we sign off on this episode of Big Break, Ben, there's one last thing we got to do. There's a lightning sure. round. Oh, no. You have five questions to answer in 60 seconds. For every answer you get right is one free plug. Most podcasts only give you two. You can win oh. five. Oh. Do you want to play? Let's do it. All right. Let's, let's drop the lights and let's put 60 Hang on a minute. One second. Hey, Google, set the lights to 25%. Hey, thank you. There we go. Now the mood is set. All right. Let's put six seconds on the clock. Here we go. Name a video game port you actually enjoyed. Uh, Starcraft 64. On a scale of one to five, how good are you at snooker? Zero. Who is your favorite enemy from Doctor Who? Uh, oh, uh, I like the Weeping Angels. What is Charlie Brooker doing now? Uh, probably masturbating into a big pile of money. Does Battleship count as a toy movie? Yes. You did it! <laughs> Great! Five! <laughs> nice. You did it in on time. Fantastic. Um, I, well, hey, you picked subjects that I know very well, and those subjects are my opinions about things. It is. Like, like, what do you think, and does this count? Yeah. Marvelous. So what are your five plugs, Ben Uh Well, it would be remiss of me not to plug the YouTube channel FilmJoy, uh, where you can find new episodes of Port Center when they go up. I'm working on an episode right now uh, about um, uh, Shiny Entertainment and Dave Perry and his work on games like Earthworm Jim and uh, Cool Spot, Aladdin, The Lion King, that kind of thing. Um, Film Joy is also home to the show Movies with Mikey by Mikey Newman, uh, who uh, was the writer of Borderlands. He writes about, or he, he does videos about what makes great movies great. Um, does that count as one plug or two plugs? That counts as one plug. Game of Rassilon is a Doctor Who role-playing game podcast. It's an actual play podcast where we are playing the Doctor Who role-playing game. It's basically just an excuse for me and some friends to tell new stories in the Doctor Who universe with our own Doctor, our own companions. Uh, it's a comedy as well. We we try to make people laugh as well as tell an interesting story. You can find that by searching uh, for The Game of Rassilon. That's R A. S-S-I-L-O-N in your podcasting app of choice. Um, I would also like to plug The Life Toyetic with Ben and Molly. It is a podcast where my friend Molly and I watch movies that are based on toys or board games or video games. And uh, we, we watch them and we talk about them. Rihanna um, with Battleship. Yeah, we did an episode about Battleship. We did do that. Um, but uh, yeah, what else? Uh, yeah, you can find that by searching for The Life Toyetic or going to thelifetoyetic.com. Um, I would leave my friend Frizz, Frizz Frizzle, that's F-R-I-Z, F-R-I-Z-Z-L-E, just released a new comedy album 
uh, that is called Parody City. He is a musical comedian. He is a self-proclaimed song ruiner. He is uh, a finalist at the British Musical Comedy Awards, and he's been given very positive notices from uh, the likes of Comedy Central UK. Check out his stuff. He's on SoundCloud. He's on Spotify. He's on iTunes. Parody City, Frizz Frizzle. You will love it. And then my last plug, I think this is my last plug, um, is... uh, is is me it's my twitter it's ren padden d-e-n-p-a-d-d-o-n check me out on twitter instagram facebook follow me i'm very funny um and you can always find out what i'm up to by following me on twitter tumblr not tumblr so much but instagram facebook and my website which is benpadden.net there you go cool and i hope you understood all of that because my face is really having a hard time down to bell's palsy fuck you yep yeah, Eat fuck shit, you, Bell's palsy. palsy. Fuck off. I don't know who Bell is, but if he wants his palsy back, tweet me. Ben, thank you so much. I've had a thank lot you. of fun chatting with you tonight. It's so good to keep keep up. Yeah, yeah, this has been a blast. Are, 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 we, uh, are we wrapping up or have yeah, we, we already finished? we are wrapping up the show. All right. You, we leave you as a winner. You won the plugs. Fantastic. I'm, I, I feel very, very blessed, but also very talented. This is the part where usually we'd be waving in front of a, a camera and the credits would roll yeah. and that's how it ends. I'm assuming you're going to play the closing theme to the show Big Break as our outgoing music. Nope, it's going to be the outgoing theme to Card Sharks, but at the end of the podcast, it's Big Break. Marvelous. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ben. You can also check out his stuff at benpadden.net. Lots of fantastic things there. Uh, just some quick news, because I just want to see what else did I get through the research after the interview. Uh, Jim Davidson. Uh, yes, he was a comedian. Yes, he's a real jerk. Uh, he was supposed to be taking part of the 11th series of Big Brother. There was a celebrity Big Brother, and he was going to take part in season 11, but was arrested hours before the launch by policemen working on Operation U-Tree. Operation U-Tree uh, was an investigation of sexual abuse allegations, namely for children, and this was the thing that got Jimmy Seville. Uh, he was replaced by Neil Razor Ruddock, but on season 13, he entered the house handcuffed to Linda Nolan, a little on the nose based on the events of what transpired two years earlier before he got released on day two on day 27 though jim was considered the winner jim davidson was a winner of celebrity big brother yeah as for john john virgo the snooker expert, the trick shot guy, he has a whole line of fantastic snooker trick shots, which is the thing we all kind of love talking about when, with um, with Big Break was all of these cool trick shots and the contestants trying them. I thought that was a, a great uh, form of, of Big Break and the way it was presented. And now he is <clears throat> he is is showing it off uh, in, in, on Apple and Android devices. There's a few trick shots that you can do. Uh, and he also, I think, is doing, like, a, a cafe, because that's usually what it does. He also still does some commentary here and there. And there's a thrilling voice of the snooker world, and, and one that I think should still continue uh, talking about the merits of this uh, delightful sport. And now, speaking of an endurance, 
It's now time for the 110-part series exploring every pricing game on The Price is Right. This is the Pricing Game Spotlight. Golden Road, premiere date, August 19th, 1975, tape number 1552D, uh, finale date for Barker, June 11th, 2007, number 4031K, premiere date with Drew Carey, October 15th, 2007, number 4041K, aired of Ord, October 16th, 2007, played at the center stage and the big doors. <clears throat> A trip along the Golden Road, originally carpet, later dots, for a brief time also used a velvet rope, and for another brief time, nothing, where the contestant tries to win three prizes, each of which is more expensive than the previous. The game is noteworthy for offering some of the most expensive prizes on the show. The game begins with a grocery item placed under $1, price under $1, whose price is shown to the contestant. The price of a three-digit prize is then revealed, with the hundreds digit missing. The contestant must choose one of the two digits in the price of the grocery item and the missing digit to that three-digit item. If they are correct, the game continues with a four-digit prize, whose missing hundreds digit is one of the digits in the price of the three-digit prize. If they are correct, they move on to select the missing hundreds digit in the price of a five-digit or sometimes six-digit prize. From the digits in the price of a four-digit prize. And it correct guess at any point ends the game. However, the contestant keeps any prices one up to that point. Since the first two or three or six-digit prices digits of the final prize will be shown, the prizes usually billed as worth more than however many thousand dollars at the start of the game. The numbers in the first two prizes generally do not repeat, but it's rumor it did happen at one point. Early history, Golden Road debuted August 19th, 1975, number 1552D, and all three prizes were won for the first time on November 3rd, 1975, 1661D. Golden Road's original claim to fame was that it always offered a prize worth more than $10,000, while other games typically offered cars in the $4,000 range. CBS had a game show earnings cap of $25,000 at the time. The prize value has since increased steadily, as CBS increased and later eliminated the earnings cap to the point where they're usually worth more than $60,000 in current playings. On November 3rd, 1975, 1661D, the very first permanent hour-long show, Golden Road got its very first win, and during that time, the first digit of the three-digit prize was supposed to be revealed, but the sleeve using buttons to reveal the time was prematurely revealed, and Bob offered contestant Christie the very first prize anyway. However, the second number of the four-digit prize and the third number from the five-digit prize had their numbers concealed. Originally, the price podiums that conceal missing digits were concealed by plastic sleeves that the host would reveal at the pull of a lever or later the push of a button. At times, these would cause the digit to be revealed prematurely or when revealing the lever pushing the button would cause the sleeve to get stuck. On November 11, 1977, Golden Road had three changes. The original carpet road was replaced with gold circles. The velvet rope was introduced or removed on September 19th, 1975, 3393D. So if you ever want to go, you know, look in the archive, tape number 3393D was when they introduced velvet ropes and removed them. And the push buttons got removed and replaced with pull tabs. 
On July, on January 7th, 1987, 6323D, Golden Road's sign had been redone with less glitter and gave the letters a more professional appearance. Later history, on October 6, 1999, the Golden Road set changed that the colors of the first two price holders were swapped. Changes sequence from blue, green, red to green, blue, red. Okay. Yeah, yeah, green, blue, red. The title's font style changed to Times New Roman. Similar to that of Lucky 7. On January 15, 2001, the slimmer colored price holders debuted. Except for its premiere in the December 20, 2016, number 7732K episodes, it was played third and second, respectively. Golden Roads always played as the first pricing game. From May 17, 1989, 7283D aired out of order May 18th until its retirement in 2007. Den host Bob Barker almost always entered from the back of the audience at the beginning of showing Goal on the Road and other games that block door number two was played. The game takes up the entire stage and it would have been given away with a door two entrance. One noble exception happened May 6, 2007, in which Bob Barker's final million dollar spectacular when he entered the stage with door two to keep his entrance from giving away the game. The dots that make up the road are not used, a change that was subsequently made on the daytime show when Drew Carey took over the start of season 36. Although it was undone after only two times the game was played, the dots are now set up during the first one bid. However, Carey continues to enter through door two and hasn't entered from the audience for his game or any other. One notable exception was on June 23, 2008, when he made the first of his three audience members there too during You Decide Week, in which the Twitter's Twitter follower followed, which Drew make his entrance to the audience from behind the turntable. In September 23rd, 2015, in which kept from the 93. Um, in 94, syndicate new prices right Golden Road began with two-digit price or a fishbowl of cash. On Earth Day, April 20... Well, that's not good. A fishbowl of... <clears throat> Earth Day, April 22nd, 2010. Keep it Earth Day. It was named Green Road. On October 29th, 2018, keeping with the words of Oz, it was named the Golden Brick Road. On September 26th, 2013, during Big Money Week, Golden Road was played for a $189,565 Bentley Continental GT. During that playing, contestant Eloy, Ra uh, Eloy Smith only had the first and second prizes guessed correctly. That segment was not aired on the East Coast due to CBS News special report. And it was never rebroadcast, possibly due to having no pricing games won. On November 20th, 2013, during Dream Car Week, it was played for a 2014 Mercedes-Benz SL550 convertible worth over $114,000 during a plane. Contestant Bryce Fard wiped out on the first prize. So there 26, uh, the digit once in the price tags was changed to a stick-like version without a serif. The last playing with serif one was on May 16th, 2014. So if you ever want to play, see the last episode of Golden Road where a serif version of one changed, Look at number 6745K. Just throwing it out there, folks. Helping you out. Prior to December 27, 2014, Air Dive Order, which was played for 73,900,215 Mercedes-Benz. Uh, Mac. last time Golden Road received an official daytime win was February 20th, 2017. Oh, 2007. I think on question, the contestant named Gazelle Mooney not only won the car, but also became the, fir the first daytime contestant since Drew became host to completely win Golden Road. The primetime playing, March 7th, aired of order. Drew Hosting was which Viper was worth 87910 On February 16, 2016, during Dream Car Week, Golden Road was played for $139,142 coupe. On December 19, 2017, Golden Road was played in Christmas for an Audi worth $62,745. 
It was the cheapest car offered in that game since Drew took over as host. Ironically, Three Strikes had a more expensive car offer three days later. During Christmas week, December 17th, 2018, Golden Road was paid for a $61,735 BMW. There were three episodes in which one the showcased by Wipeout is pricing game, December 6th, whatever. Uh, there was Wipeouts. Some people didn't win on the first prize. That's all you need to know. Larry Cooper, Apprentice, and Judith Die. Notes, this game cannot just have any three prizes. The first prize that is less than $1,000 has to share one of the two correct numbers from the sharing item. The second prize that is less than $10,000 has to share one of the three numbers from the first prize. The third and final prize at the end of the Golden Road Journey has to share one of the four numbers from the second prize. The first two prizes cannot have any repeating numbers. The third prize can have some repeating as it will be the last prize to be played for. Trivia. Jay Wolpert, then producer of The Price is Right, created the game Golden Road. The most number of times it was played in any season was 18, and starting with season 28 and onward, the game was played less than 10 times. Also noting, because that's the name of The Price is Right fan forum that a lot of people know of, Golden Hyphen Road. Um... I think Golden Road is a is one of the monumental games because it is one of those, if there was like a sweeps week, a sweeps kind of grab game, this is it. And at the time, like, this was the big money game, like, aside from Plinko. Uh, after Golden Road, like, the only things I can think of is like three strikes, which is played for three cars, and paid the rent, which is for $100,000. So Golden Road is supposed to be that big ticket game. If it was me and I had some some clout, I would redo Golden Road so it's played with all three doors instead of just walking one to the other to the other. Uh, so when you so when you start because because that way you can still do the Drew Drew entrance through the doors, so you don't have to do any shock reveal and you can play that at any time during the game because you just have to stock the vacation television. Or, or the home gym in one door, you have to stock Drew in one of them, and then you have to to stock, the, of course, the grand prize, which I would still keep as something that's like six, like a, a big car, like an Audi, a Mercedes, something flashy that would be on a Dream Car Week as the episode. And I think that's something that needs to be appealing. It's that here's the $100,000 car that we're playing for in Golden Road. That that makes for an exciting appeal for with for a start of a season or for an end of a season or for a gimmick week. Keep Golden Road as as that is, and then when you start Golden Road and we go through the small prize, medium prize, and then the big prize, you can have like a model wheel out the can of lima beans or whatever it is, because that that's all that's important for the Golden Road is it starts with something small. And it builds and builds and builds, and attention goes until you see that very lucrative prize. I I don't really see the need to go from one door to the next door. You could easily just have them move from one stage to the other. They already do that with three with uh with triple play. That's the game, triple play. Uh, they already do a triple play. Why not do it with Golden Road? Just walk to the next to the next. You can. And then you can do however you want as, as a way to promote the game. It works that way. There's some that have big set pieces like Hot Seat. Golden Road just needs to have that big 
design of here's the flashy RV or here's a boat. I don't know. But the appeal of Golden Road is the different furniture. And that's why I enjoy Golden Road. I think it's that's going from small to large to large. And guessing in the hundreds position, which not a lot of people really think about, uh, makes it fun. It, it's really just what's the hundred? What's the hundreds place is the name of the game. Uh, and and I like that. And, and Golden Road is a very monumental game show. Obviously, it's in the heart of a lot of Price is Right fans. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the name of the message board. It would be, I don't know, uh, cliffhangers or something. Uh, join me next time on the Price and Game Spotlight when we take a look at the poker game called Poker Game. I'll give you a game. Run. Run as hard as you can. Because you're about to be chased by a world-class athlete. Along the way, there'll be obstacles. But you'll get a head start. Will it be enough to win the million-dollar mile? Million Dollar Mile is to game shows what LeBron James is to the Los Angeles Lakers. A good idea in theory, but awful in execution with no chance of making the playoffs, which makes sense because I've been thinking of making this review for the last couple of weeks and now it's pushed to Saturdays until it, you know, makes a nice disappearance. So if you've never seen Million Dollar Mile, there are six obstacles in downtown Los Angeles. For everyone complete, they go up a money ladder. If they get caught by one of the American Gladiator Defender people, they lose all the money. That sums it up. But for more clarification, you're in downtown LA, you're at the starting point with Tim Tebow. You get a two-minute head start, and they introduce you by saying, get ready to run, and then they start running like the running man. Each obstacle, there's five obstacles around the city, and they're about 0.2 miles away from each of them. The six obstacles at that finish line, they just were. The first obstacle completed gives you $10,000. The second one, $25,000. Completing the third one guarantees you $50,000 no matter what happens. Fourth is worth six figures, $100,000. The fifth one, you complete all five obstacles in the city, quarter million dollars. But then if you make it to that finish line, which they have to scale up a wall and then zip line down to go to the finish line and hit a button, they have an option. They can go for a sixth and final obstacle for $1 million, which is like a scale the beam challenge. If they get caught at any point, which in this case is they hit a buzzer uh, before the, the contestant, Defender, the, the elite athlete, the marathon runner triathlete person. If they catch up to the, the contestant on their way to the obstacle and they complete the obstacle ahead of them and hit a button, that's considered an elimination and they're out. Similarly, if they're on their way to an obstacle and a defender hits a button before them, that's considered an elimination. The, uh, they all get to have a warm-up at the Planet Fitness warm-up room, which is one of my favorite kind of things. It's just unnecessary product placement. But this is for Planet Fitness. 
And a lot of people have been jokingly calling this the $10,000 sprint or the $25,000 fun run because there's not a lot of people going all in on this game. They kind of take the small two levels and then they go because I don't think they really play tested this game that well. Um, I'll get into that in just a bit. <clears throat> so the presentation, it's okay. I mean, like, you're watching people do the American Ninja Warrior obstacles, like, you know, do a monkey bar, go up the stairs, do a rock climbing thing, jump from one wall to another wall without touching the floor because the floor is lava. It's okay. It reminds me of American Gladiators. It reminds me of American Ninja Warrior in the game Tag. However, much like Mental Samurai, the game is very, very repetitive in this regard. But unlike Mental Samurai, there's no play-along factor for you at home. And unlike American Ninja Warrior, uh, the act of putting up a price tree like it's a game show doesn't treat it that much like a sports event. Uh, because with American Ninja Warrior, it's about the contestants and improving year after year as they go through the course and try to get better. So they go through round one, then round two, then round three, so they can get the million-dollar prize. That's American Ninja Warrior. With this, it's just you complete the obstacle. $10,000 in one state, you want to go. You have to still climb up a, a wall and zip line if you want to win. But the uh, the commentating team is of Matt Money Smith and Maria Taylor. They are serving more as the game show host than the actual game show host, which is Tim Tebow. Yeah, Tim Tebow of Tebowing fame. I... I he, he does nothing except kind of act as a sideline reporter in this. He's a very likable guy, but the set is very grandiose. Because, first of all, it's, yeah, it's downtown Los Angeles. So there's a lot of dark blues, greens, because they're trying to go for the athletic event. There's a lot of blue lights, a lot of dark blues, then a lot of gold if they complete. It's very, very fascinating. And I love the set design. I love whoever did the set dressing and put all of these blue lights here and there before the obstacles. The field producer on this did a fantastic job. The problem is you're blowing your budget because <laughs> the finish line set, which is the main set of Million Dollar Mile, has bleachers and greens and blues and uh, like nice weird tunnels to run through. But there's nothing for the crowd to do, and this is probably at like 10, 11 o'clock at night. So all they're doing is clapping and staring at a screen. There's nothing for them to do. There's nothing to scream at. There's no one saying, stop, 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 come back. Because all they're doing is clapping because I guess there's a set, and that's what you have to do for a set-based game show that's set in downtown LA at night. Uh, typically, as what I've seen is contestants make it to one obstacle or two obstacles, which is $10,000 and $25,000, and then they come back to the finish line to collect the money. Or they get, they go on and then they get caught and they get no money. So that's, it's more or less the $10,000 fun run or the $25,000 sprint, not million dollar mile. Uh... The creators of this game show is Allison Grodner and Rich Meacham of Big Brother fame. Hi, Rich. Long time no chat. Hey. hey it's nice talking to you. I used to work at Big Brother. So he's actually a really sweet guy. Uh, however, shows like The Chase and even The Runner did this better in terms of the run and not get caught format. But it is in a better original format than other CBS attempts, such as Candy Crush and TKO total knockout 
the, the big issue I have with this game is oh oh wait oh you know speaking of the runner uh what's his name Isaiah Isaiah who was one of the contestants on the runner he was one of the runners on the runner who like lost in like a couple of days like because he couldn't disguise himself in Austin uh he he got caught and uh and and I guess nowadays he's now the runner now he's the one doing the chasing instead of the one being chased that's kind of fun um, but yeah, my big issue with this is I don't think there was playtesting in this. I think the name Million Dollar Mile came before coming up with the format. And I would have liked it if it was like, you know, like 10 obstacles, one every point, one mile, you complete it, you win, or you can hit a button to quit. That would have been a much better format. Or... If, if there was some sort of... I'll, I'll do that at the end. Um, there's no play-along. So if you can't really interact with the game. So so there's no questions for you to ask. There's no real character development being played in this game. So there's no real way for you to root for, for or against somebody. And there's no sports broadcast for you to root for the athlete to get to know them better enough to go... Yeah, that's the person. That's the Katie Cazaro. That's that's the ball. That's different kind of because that's the appeal of American Ninja Warriors. The contestants have become characters in and of themselves, and they come back season after season. And I I think they just kind of had this idea of point two mile to get the obstacle and then complete while being chased. And they kind of saw a two-minute head start because they saw it as unfair if they just start at the same time or or in some regards of just because it, it's it's to make the game quote-unquote fair because you have not done these obstacles, but the people who are running against you have. So they're already experienced in the obstacles they're about to play. You haven't. This is your first time ever completing them. And I find that to be very, very awful in terms of playtesting it should be fair enough that either you don't know and they don't know together or you create some sort of way that that can even the playing field for both teams because there's no play along there's no real sports broadcast enough for you to cheer on these people and the contestants get very exhausted after one or two things anyway that they don't even want to go through the level three guaranteed money because they know they're going to get caught at that point. So why bother? That's awful. That should not be the case. There was no play testing in this game. And the thing is, I could see where they're coming at with this game. It's very clever in the way they're formatting us as a sports broadcast. So here's how I would have done it. Because I don't think they could have figured out any other way to do it. If you're doing a sports broadcast, I would make it taking clock format i would make it so the contestant is not running against a defender the defenders are already present at each obstacle and each of these obstacles is one aspect of sports that's meant to eat away at the time so and i'm going to say 10 minutes is the time 10 minutes to complete the obstacles if you don't come back to the 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 finish line you don't get your money you have to collect and then come back. And 
maybe do five obstacles for ha- and make it like 50,000 or 25 like 25 50 100 quarter million 1 million dollars or and then they have to make it back in time uh because because the way it was with the $10,000 uh, so just drop the sixth obstacle at the finish line make the finish line the place you start and the place you finish and a place where you see the ticking clock. And they have 10 minutes to go through all five obstacles in game and make it back to the finish line. And waiting at each obstacle is your American Gladiator Defender person. And all their goal is is to eat away at their time. So for instance, one is simply like make five free throws. Like, that's it. Just here's a basketball court. Here's the free throw. Make five free throws and you can keep going. Or one is like uh, a simple balance beam thing and the defender is going to knock the sandbags at them. Or one is a basic um, one is a basic joust type game like American Gladiators where they're going to get ruffled a bit. Something like that would work. Something like a flag football. Get one ball from one end to the other while the defender will chase after you and grab the flag. You cannot continue. You cannot go back until you make it to the end zone with the ball. That would make for a much grander scale if you're going to try to go for an elite athlete and try to get as much sports in as possible. Think sports. Think basketball. Think football. Think baseball. Think soccer. Easy enough. Soccer. Get one goal from like a major goalie in the world of soccer, that would make for a much grander scale because even if they fail, they lose, they run out the clock, they can't make it back on time, they can at least say, well, I beat this athlete in this sport. That's kind of cool. Because now the goal is to beat the ticking clock and the defenders are there to basically eat away at your time, not necessarily try and catch you. So that way, when there is a obstacle course or something, you can say, here's do the obstacle course. And after a minute or after 30 seconds, that's when the defender will come and capture you. If she beats you, uh, you have to go back from the beginning. Something like that would have made this a lot more compelling of a show. And they couldn't figure that out. They were smart with the way they present downtown L.A., They were smart in the way they made the show look, but the playtesting wasn't there, and neither was any aspect of of how do you convince people to really think about going on for that guarantee. Uh, In the last episode, I saw there was a guaranteed $50,000 win. No one really walked out of there for anything more than six figures. So... It, it, it's it's not a game that was play tested very well. I think you either have to do 10 obstacles, one point one mile each, or you have to do some sort of ticking clock format where you have 10 minutes to go through basically a four-minute run plus six obstacles, which is classic athletic ability. Um, so so to, to me, I, 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 I just kind of was bored by the show and i think they could have done better and that's why i'm giving million dollar mile a d it's a like a d d minus it, it looks great there's there's things associated that are good 
but it's a major flop for the very reasons that people should love games. If you're trying to go for a sports broadcast, a competition show, it's not even it's not even the chase levels of you have an advantage over the guy who's the expert. So why even try? I give it a D minus. I'm not gonna give it an F, just a solid D minus. They should have play tested it more before going to production. That's gonna do it for us this week. Join us next time for a brand new game show, I suppose. I'm your host, Jordan Haas. Thanks again for tuning in. You can catch me at jordanhaas.com. More episodes at jordanhaas.com slash podcast. Email me at jordanhaas at gmail.com and follow me on Twitter at jordha. Till next time, big smooch.